to sound the alarm, and they undoubtedly did. They frantically ran to man the fort to fortify their power and defenses. However, nothing would stand sufficiently against the power and the speed of God's army of judgment. As symbols and agents of their strength and power, the, the Chaldean army came with war chariots. And not only were those chariots massive and strong, but they were also quick like lightning. They carried torches along with their riders, torches that would be used to light the path at night, torches that would be used to burn buildings to the ground, but also torches whose light concealed the number of their army. Again, adding to the intimidation factor. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's army would breach Nineveh through the river gates on the Tigris. They would overcome the people, and the Ninevite soldiers would stop and fight Nahum for cold. Instead, they would flee in cowardice and fear. And though their officers would command them to stand at post, their city would be plundered, the palace destroyed, and the wealthy spoils of silver and gold taken. The city would be emptied and made desolate. Those who dished out pain upon others, upon God's people, would be those who experienced excruciating pain in their own ruin. Oh, what a dreadful and yet also glorious day. Again, the theme of the work of God's wrath resounds. It was a day of judgment as well as a day of comfort. And as Nahum continues in painting the picture of the Lord's assault, we find a taunt and a divine taunt in our text tonight. We see the Lord taunting the lion. Taunting the lion. And as we consider these verses tonight, let's look at how God begins his taunt in verse 11. The main work of the lions in verse 12, as well as God's words regarding his being against them and what that would look like in verse 13. So notice how God begins his taunt with a multi-layered question regarding the lion's death. And we're going to see here the Lord using this illustration uh, quite vividly. And he asks in the first layer, considering the, the emptying and desolation that would take place, and, and because of the certainty of God's judgment, as, as if it had occurred, God insults and taunts the Ninevites as he compares them to lions in a lion's den. Look at verse 11 and 8 with me. Where is the dwelling of the lions? He asks. The mighty Ninevites, the princes, were cruel tyrants, aggressive and, and ruthless, like beasts of prey lodged in their, their massive and safe den, their, their massive city, which no one would have ever imagined or would ever think that it could be destroyed. And yet it was exposed and destroyed. God was in essence saying, You who were so great, where are you at? Where are you? You know, if you're in Africa, or a place that has lions in the area, and you're familiar with the area, you likely know right where the lion's den is. That's an important thing to figure out. It's a place that's identifiable. Lions 
sleeping, and therefore it's a place you'd likely want to stay away from. And yet, though Nineveh was like a pool of water, Ahab said in the context of our passage, though they were like a pool of water teeming with people and was seemingly growing by the day, though if someone asked where Nineveh was or, or how to get to it, people could readily give them the, the directions to the day. And when they would arrive, they would find it gone. They would find it gone. No remnants, no footsteps. It would be like the whole city of San Antonio and the whole city of Austin wiped off the map, no longer to be found. There one day, gone the next. This is the picture that God describes of the Ninevite death. But Nahum goes on to describe the significance of this in the next place. The physical location of the dead wasn't the only significant thing. Notice what he says in 11 feet. And the feeding place of the young ones. The Ninevite den was a place of feasting upon their prey, so to speak. It was a bustling and a thriving place where the young lions would, would be fed and grow. This was a place where the female lions would drag their prey and feed their family. Now, none of us would ever mess with lions, I don't think. Let alone attack them in their den. We've seen what they can do. They're fierce out on the field, even more so when they're at home, eating among their pride, their family. But Nahum went on to describe this den to be one where multiple generations live. Verse 11c, where the lion walked, the lioness and the lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. The male lions, the, the lionesses, and the, the cubs were all there living their lives together, all in the family, all in their home, and unafraid. As the lion is the king of the jungle, so to speak, the Assyrians were much the same, striking fear into the hearts of others. But, living high on the hawk, confident in their own strength. No one loved them, everyone feared them. And that's exactly how the Assyrians liked them. That's exactly what they wanted. You remember Eliphaz, one of Job's three friends who gave him counsel. He painted a very similar picture to Nahum's regarding the downfall of the wicked. The downfall of the lions at the hand of God because of their sin. Job chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, says this. Now remember, whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity sow trouble... They reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. Notice. The roaring of the lion, the, the voice of the fierce lion, verse 10, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. My friends, see God's sovereign power over 
even the teeth of the young lions are broken. These young, strong beasts, young, strong, and, and vibrant. You know, their teeth are strong, their muscles are strong, their stature is strong. The teeth of young lions should be great. Yeah, they do. Here. Similar to Nineveh, they perish. They're consumed. Their teeth are broken, they starve, and are scattered. But remember also the downfall of the house of David that Ezekiel spoke of in his lament of the princes of Israel. We can find that in Ezekiel chapter 19, verses 2 to 7. For example, the Lord raised up Jehoahaz and also brought him down because of his sin. In verses 2 through 4, we read, What is your mother? A lioness which this lioness represents, the royal family. She laid down among the lions, the scriptures say, among the young lions, she nourished her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, referring to Jehoiada, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. The nations also heard of him, he was trapped in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. Beloved, see how the cruel and the ravenous lions taught and nurtured her cubs to grow up to be like her. That was part of the point of Ezekiel's words. She taught her young princes the way of tyrants filling their heads with notions of their absolute power, with which they wouldn't rule men with justice, but rather devour them. And this too is similar to Nineveh, isn't it? You know, God's defeating and destroying these ravenous lions, God's defeating ravenous Nineveh, points us to a greater and a more glorious reality, doesn't it? Though wicked lions prowl around like their father, the devil, who does the same, seeking whom he can devour. Jesus Christ, the, the Lion of Judah, has dealt the death blow, has declared the victory, is plundering his house, and will bring him fully and finally to nothing in the final judgment. But here Nineveh, excuse me, Nahum goes on to speak of the vain work of the male lions as well, doesn't he, in verse 12. And as he does so, he points out three actions that the male lion took in efforts to provide for his family. Look at verse 12. The lion, one, he tore in pieces enough for his cubs. Secondly, he killed for his lionesses. Thirdly, he filled his cage with prey and his dens with flesh. We see in this text, and in Nahum, that the king of Assyria attacked and invaded his neighboring nations to enrich himself and raise his family. He broke their strength. He robbed their treasures. He broke them in pieces. Isaiah foretold this in Isaiah 10, verses 5 and 6, where we read, Woe to Assyria! The rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation, and against the people of my wrath, 
I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Beloved, as the king went on to tear nations in pieces, consider the deliverance from Sennacherib that Hezekiah prayed for in Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37 and verses 16 through 20. Beginning in verse 16, we read, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations of their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they are not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. And notice verse 20. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. You see that Sennacherib killed all who came close to his lionesses, his queens, his concubines, ladies in the Assyrian court. What was Hezekiah's prayer? Hezekiah's prayer was for salvation, was for rest, was for deliverance was that the proclamation would go forth that God and the living God is the true God, that He is the Lord and that He alone is God. Sennacherib went on to fill his caves and dens, didn't he? He filled his own treasuries and his, his storehouses with, with what he took from others. Matthew Henry said this, he said, Many naked and excused for their rapine and injustice that they have wives and children to provide for. That's if that was some kind of excuse. I do this, I I do these wicked things because I have a family to provide for. That's no excuse. But yet remember, and be encouraged by the words of David in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10, where he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. This is the message that we hear the Lord proclaiming to his people. Encouragement, comfort. That we hear in Daniel. As God tells them of the deliverance that is coming to them when Assyria is taken down in this war. We see the call for them to trust. That same call is true for us here tonight, for us today. The call for those to seek the Lord. And that those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. The Lord will provide. The Lord will truly bring deliverance. We may see the young lions all around us. We may see the 
burns the chariot in the fire. However, considering those words by the sons of Korah in Psalm 46, and burning the chariot in the fire, and the description of that, notice what Nahum said. Nahum said that God would burn their chariots in the smoke, the smoke of God's indignation. They would be consumed even when the smoke had started to rise and hadn't even burst into flames yet. The Lord of armies would also bring the sword. And what would the sword do? They would devour their young lives. Tragic and devastating. If the older people Maybe even if the leadership were to go down. The young would stand up, would rise up, would be the future of the nation, right? Not here. Whereas the young lions were the future of the pride, so God would cut off the serious children. There would be no future generations of the serious. No one to carry the banner, no one to carry the torch, no one to continue the intimidation and the terror of the nations. There would be no future generation. And further, he said, he would cut off. And what would he cut off? He would cut off their prey from the earth. Here we see the imagery of death by starvation. Because the lion needs prey to live. The lion needs a lot of prey and feasting upon it to grow, to survive. And continuing with the lion analogy, without prey, they wouldn't have sustenance. They wouldn't have food. And so God would make them unable to prey on their neighbors. No more of that. Right? Which again was the joy, was the comfort to Israel. Right? Was the comfort to Judah. Here comes the peace bringer. And the peace bringer, the living God, their God, would come and bring peace, would bring relief, would bring comfort and deliverance in taking down their oppressing uh, enemy. And so they would be unable to pray on their neighbors. But God said that he would also, finally, silence the voice of their messengers. The voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. The, the voice of intimidation, the, the message of Sennacherib coming through the mouth and the voice of Rabshaka, it would be silence. And so to sum it up, the strong army, the future of the empire, the, the fuel that kept them going, and the voice that promoted it would be no more, gone, done, at the hand of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. So as we consider this passage, and as we leave tonight, I want to leave you with this. The enemies of the living God, the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, have no stronghold, have no dwelling place, have no home or haven that can protect them against the Lord and His army. Though their dens may have done well in providing them a place for growth and rest, and protection, a place that, that other men may not dare to try close to. God will have his justice and swiftly ransack and empty every last 
one of them. For God to be their enemy spells out their sure doom and damnation. And remember that this is true for everyone who is outside of Christ. To be apart from Christ is to be under the eternal wrath Those who are apart from Christ are against Christ, and He against them. Yet if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Him by faith for your full salvation, you can be confident and sure that the Lion of Judah, that the Lord of hosts, that Jesus Christ, your Savior, your friend, doesn't give you the behold that is followed by a severe warning of terror but rather the behold that is followed by eternal peace and salvation 